This is the Norris Group's Real Estate Investor Radio Show. The award-winning show dedicated to thought leaders shaping the real estate industry and local experts revealing their insider tips to succeed in an ever-changing real estate market. Hosted by author, investor, and hard money lender, Bruce Norris. Hi, thanks for joining us. My name is Bruce Norris, and once again, our guest is Matthew Candy, the Chief Executive Officer of Formatic Property Management. How do you guys handle a client comes to you and says, somebody just moved in my house? You know, they've they'll meet up a rental agreement and there they sit. So if you had that experience, then how do you handle that? All right. The first thing you say, or the first thing is you should be keeping an eye on your property when it's vacant, right? That, that's number one. And there you can do that with cameras. You can have someone go check every week. Ideally, you catch those situations early on. Because if you do, the number one thing you'd never want to say is the word squatter. The word squatter is a legal term. It's a technical term, not a concept. And this, again, this is where knowledge matters, right? Between the, uh, the people who know what they're doing and don't in management. A squatter has rights. But you know who doesn't have the same kinds of rights? Trespassers. Okay. <laughs> So you call up the police. You say, uh, I have a squatter in my home. Okay, well, you need to uh, go follow the course. That sounds like a civil issue. Okay. You call them up, say, uh, Officer Bruce, I have, uh, I just stopped by my property. Someone's broken into it. And uh, I think they're vandalized it. The door handle looks like it's been, it's been damaged or, mod- or, or something else. Uh, I can't get any more. I'm concerned that the trespassers are in there and they're going to continue to do active uh, active vandalism to my home. Can you please come and take care of it? Well, I, and I used to be able to cite the codes. I think it's code 498 and 503, but I could be off on that at, locally. Uh, and they come out and uh, they'll usually deal with it. Now, if the people, sometimes the people do show up with the moving van, like they scope it out ahead of time and they only open it up with the moving van in tow and they move their furniture in and they have the leaks. And in that case, there's not a lot you can do in some areas. Now, Hemet, we've worked closely with the police department in Hemet in the past uh, when it was really bad in 2016, 2017. There was just a lot of that in, in Hemet, San Jacinto. Um, and uh, we worked with them and they created a, uh, not because of us, but because of other people reporting things also and some of our conversations, they created a task force over this. Now, frankly, I don't know how they operate and what the laws are that they operate. But if we call them up, when the local officers say in Hemet say, uh, hey, there's nothing we could do, we would call these people up and we'd magically have people out within a week or two. Uh, and uh, they forcibly remove them from the property in some cases. So there are ways to do it. But the big thing is never call them squatters. Um, frankly, it doesn't happen that often. It used to happen a lot more. And the reason the biggest reason it happens isn't so much the the bad apples locally. Uh, there are scam rings that go around online or that go around from different parts of the world where they post as a landlord. And this, again, common sense here, right? Uh, but common sense is, is difficult when you're desperate. They post an ad on Craigslist and they say, I had to move away from my home. I just want a good, a good Christian family, you know, to move into my home. And uh, that's why I'm offering for so low. I, you know, I had to move across country for my dad's medical and uh, I just love someone to take care of it. And so may this be a blessing to you. 
And they use all sorts of techniques to gain access to the property remotely and to sign leases, take security deposits, steal social security numbers, and move people in. And now at that point, you have a problem where the residents are, uh, the you know, on one level, they're squatters. On another level, they're victims themselves. And that's far more common. And uh, we have we actually run several programs to uh, educate and help uh, help prevent that from happening. Okay. About a year ago, the coronavirus hit our industry. So what changes happen? And when does the time frame kind of end for the reaction to that, the forbearance of rent, um, that type of thing? So it, it does depend by state, of course. Uh, however, I'm involved in, uh, because of my background and the, the thousands and thousands of properties I've managed, I, I'm well connected with managers across the country. And we see that it's, it's pretty, pretty consistent that everyone struggled with it in every state. Uh, some have, are already a little more open to things now in the last couple of months. But last year, 2020 itself was very difficult. 2021 is rapidly doing better. If we're talking about California specifically, uh, June 30th is when is the last date that residents have currently to not pay rent uh, on time. And with that in mind is that the residents have always had to pay the rent. They always owe the rent but you couldn't evict them over rent if they claimed they were affected by COVID. And yes, I know there are all sorts of technical things. What if they make this much over 120% over again, going back to your earlier thing, Bruce, about, uh, you know, where's the justice? None of that stuff matters because no judge cares. And we know because we've tried. So (laughs) the, uh, so ultimately though, June 30th is the date where all the money that they vote, prior. Uh, well, in California, it's technically September 1st through June 30th. Right. Uh, uh, must be paid back by the end of June 30th. Otherwise, uh, you can evict them. That's on the surface. Now, if they claim they're COVID affected, then they technically only have to pay 25% of the back old rent from September to uh, September 2020 to June uh, 30th, uh, 2021. If they pay that 25%, uh, which is just 25% in aggregate of the total balance that accrued during that time, right? then you can no longer evict them over that. The other 75% is converted into what's called consumer debt, kind of like a credit card. You can't ev- A credit card company can't evict people and neither can you. Uh, so at that point, you can pursue them in small claims court, even while the residents in California, uh, it's a little different than other states where you can have attorneys in small claims court and, uh, and there's no limits on certain things and different stuff. Uh, California is different that you can't have an attorney and neither can they, which is great because they always try to threaten their attorneys. We're like, okay, we'll see them in court. <laughs> uh, so the, um, Basically, at that point, you can sue them a small claims court even while the resident, the caps have been lifted, which is normally 10,000. Uh, the amount of times you can take someone, say if you have eight residents, normally there's so many times you're allowed as a, as a housing provider, as a corporation, as other things to take some to court. Those are gone as long as it's rental related. Uh, now, the reality is, is 
do these residents, will they ever be able to repay back $30,000, $20,000, $10,000 in rent? And the answer is, is almost definitely not. You could try to garnish their wages. Uh, you know, maybe you get it back. Uh, the best case we find, and and Bruce and Joey, again, being in the investment world, you know how this works. What do you do when you have a problem resonating and you really want them done? You offer cash for keys. Uh, you try to find ways outside of the court to deal with it because the courts right now probably aren't going to help you. So, okay. okay, I have a question. So you talk about, you know, knowledge is power. How much do you spend time uh, educating um, your owners, the property, you know, the owners that you're managing for? And at the same time, how much education goes to renters, you know, like how to be good renters, how to take care of things. Uh, how much time do you spend on that? So a significant amount. Uh, it starts first with education for ourselves. Uh, this is a big part, as you can tell by my long-winded ramblings. Uh, I have a lot of information in my head and I just kind of let it put out a fire hose with it. I, so we educate ourselves a lot. We have a policy to uh, read uh, something together as a company, uh, a legal article or things every single week and review it. Uh, and with that, the first part of education is being able to integrate it into daily situations and conversations with our residents and our housing providers uh, versus, I don't know, but hey, there's a seminar coming up in a week or in a month or two months. Uh, we want to be able to do it in the moment. Now, as for formal things, we do uh, routinely reach out and educate people. We do go and speak at different events. Uh, we train several of our staff to go and speak at these things. Again, we're not attorneys, uh, I should state. Do I, do I have to get that legal disclosure, Bruce? We are not attorneys. This is not to be construed as legal <laughs> advice. Please consult with a licensed <laughs> attorney. Uh, that said, we do point people to the right resources, the right attorneys who specialize in things. Uh, we do have connections within the industry. So when something important comes up, uh, if it's very specific, we do get a on a conference call with our attorneys that we uh, use routinely and with our clients and our residents even. Uh, we do educate our residents. And this is an important part of the dynamics, the shift between uh, what it used to be when I first started to what the market is today, which is much more resident centric. Give residents a good experience, and that includes education, Joey. So when, yes, our fiduciary is to our client. Our client's fidu our fiduciary to client is to basically have the best annualized returns we could possibly have for them while reducing their legal and financial risks, right? That's what fiduciary duty involves. So if I treat residents poorly and a landlord says they're just residents and just, just keep quiet, just don't tell them then they're going to be terrible residents. They're going to destroy the property because it's going to be fight the man, right? You know, uh, we're not going to do that. So what do we do when something comes up? We will educate the landlord and we say, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you one way we do that here in a moment, but we'll educate the landlord. We say, look, Joey, I, I appreciate that you want to do that. And you're right. Technically, we could go that path. However, Let's run through several case studies of this. I'm a big fan of case studies. Uh, let's run through several case studies. Let's run through several scenarios and possible outcomes. And with that, Joy, what, what do you really want? Is it, are you looking for vengeance? I mean, if you're looking for vengeance, I guess we can pursue that. But are you, or your real goal here is to run this as a business, take the emotion out of it and figure out how to maximize your returns. Now, what do people say? I think I've had one person say that it was personal. And we dropped them, by the way, because they, they started going into non-legal methods. And we said, no. Uh, 
most people when they when, and this goes back to again the whole you know thing that bruce you, you were talking about that you were in the category of not raising it on a good resident well look rental properties is a business and any the amount of people who would say things like early on uh would, would say things like well i find if i treat my treat my residents like families like I, I have family i would never rent to <laughs> <laughs> you, know, it's, you know not everybody's definition of treat them like family is actually that good right uh and you people will be friendly up until you deny them for something and then all of a sudden you're the you're the enemy and so we we try to be as dispassionate as possible on that uh and we educate owners and we say look uh let's raise the rent let's do these things here's how it affects things uh here's how it's going to affect your bottom line no you don't need to worry about these risks uh, and so we do run the scenarios when covid things started hitting we did send out routine emails we'd say look there's a new law being proposed. Here are some links to your to your representatives. Here are some links to your senators. We encourage you to to write to them. And now I'm very big. I should note, I never ever ever tell our clients or our residents how to how I think they should vote. I know many trade organizations say, "Oh, you need to write them and tell them this." Look, I don't know if you're a Democrat or Republican, a communist or an anarchist. And frankly, as long as you do good business and treat your residents right, then I don't care on that level. But I do want you to be aware of what's happening and be engaged civically. So we do take efforts to engage all of our clients and residents civically uh, as applicable, primarily our clients, just be clear, and uh, let them know, here's what's happening, here's what you can do, and by the way, this pass, and here's how this affects you. Now, the other part on education, and this is one of those uh, hallmarks of formatic. Education starts from the beginning with our clients and our residents. Our leases are extraordinary long as are our management agreements uh there's uh there's that old saying that every rule exists because someone did something to make it happen uh or to to cause it to exist well that's exactly how our management agreement is over the years over thousands of properties and joe bruce you may like this i uh i've done many a b testings on uh, different ways to do management do you charge them a minimum fee for maintenance do you not charge a minimum fee for maintenance do you have the late fees on the third do you have it on the fifth we just took groups of hundreds of properties and tried them, right? Yeah. Uh, because unfortunately, property management, real estate investment is full of a lot of folk wisdom. Folk wisdom is stuff that sounds good. It works, but it only really works probably because of someone has a force of personality to make it work. And sometimes because they don't really think about how it could work differently. So we tested it uh, and we created our management agreements, not full of legalese. Uh, we, we've made all of our management agreements and leases uh, as plain speak as possible. 12-point font, lots of white spaces, clearly organized. But when we talk to our clients and we say, Bruce, it's been a great conversation today. Uh, thank you for chatting to, with me about your property. I'm going to send you an email. And it's going to have all my contact information. It's going to have links to parts of our website you may find helpful. And it's also going to have three documents. It's going to have our service level selection brochure. It's going to have our lease. And it's going to have the formatic way, the owner's handbook. Three different documents. Now, I'm going to give you a heads up. It's going to be long. Please don't be scared of it. And the reason why it's this way is because Everything we do, several years ago, we realized that most disputes, most issues come from people not knowing why we do or what we do. We do. Most management companies are a black box. You give them the property, you sign a short agreement that says, uh, here, Matt, here's, here's the keys to my property and all the rights, and uh, thank you for not promising me anything. 
Uh, and so you don't, there's really no commitments. In our case, we put down exactly what we do, how we do it, and why we do it. The causes, the reasons, sometimes case studies are built into our management agreements, they're built into our leases, and we take the time to review them with our clients and our residents. And that education has reduced dramatically. I mean, we rarely have any problems because if a problem pops up, we simply say, well, as you can see in section 72-5-A subsection C, you sign your initials right here and it has this and it works fantastic. And we're not overbearing about it. We're very pleasant about it. But Joey, it's education comes from the beginning. You put it into everything you do. Uh, and I know many, many investors who do great with that too, when they're looking to buy a house, uh, buy an apartment complex, especially from distressed people, there's always the sharks who are just, just sign, just sign. And then there's people walk them through, talk about their goals, figure things out and explain what they're doing, how they're doing, how they're going to profit. Transparency, education really gives everyone a better experience. Matthew, I wanted to ask you this about migration, uh, out of California, as far as do the people that own properties, are they feeling any concern about their rights as an owner not seeming to matter? Yes. <laughs> That's my short answer. Okay. Uh, yes. Yes, they they are. I, I think on some levels... Uh, let me share some of my thoughts on that, on why I think it's a concern, but not quite as big of a concern as people make it out to be. Um, let's start with the migration issue. We constantly see news about uh, there's more people coming in than coming out or things like that. We've seen that for years. And yet, despite every year, for many years, uh, saying that we're having a negative migration, California's population is higher every year. Well, we, how can we have more we have more babies being born than people dying? That's, that's where all the population. That's that's where it's going. That's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> so if you can rent to a two-year-old, you're in business. <laughs> well, you know. But you know what's funny about that? So that is a, that's an accurate statement. More people leave. And it's growing, but the inventory, and this is, this is my short answer to that, but I was really concerned about the attitude of people. Are they concerned about feeling like their, their property rights matter less than other people's rights? But the, the answer on the migration front, uh, why it matters less that we're losing people is we're not building anywhere close to significant replacement units. And so... That's, that's, I think, a, a big factor why prices are still so supported. By the way, how many vacancies do you have right now? I'm just saying what you manage. That's what Zero. I thought. I went to your website and there were no vacancies. That's an astonishing statement. <laughs> yeah. In fact, every time we get a rental, it's now, and, and I'll be clear, our, our rental qualifications are very strict and we do not vary from them for anybody. Uh, for no landlord, uh, no no housing provider, no resident or applicant, uh, they're strict and we maintain it dispassionately. That's part of fair housing, by the way. Always always do it right. None of that. I like to shake their hand and look in their car, kind of stuff. No, that that's how you get sued. Uh, so the despite our uh, our qualifications being strict, everything is rented within a week. 
put on the market. And the only reason it takes a week is sometimes it takes it that long to get the documents that we want to verify. Uh, so going to answer to answer that, uh, it, or first to reinforce that, Bruce, when I was looking to start my, my next management company, Formatic, and I was looking across the country because I'd operated across the country. I knew how to evaluate different markets. I looked and I chose the Inland Empire area in the entire country. I chose the Inland Empire, not a area that people, most of the country is even aware of. But, you know, L.A. is out of land. San Diego is out of land. They can't grow into San Diego, can't grow into Mexico or the ocean. L.A. can't grow into the ocean. They filled up all the valleys in between. And there's two freeways. So two of the largest cities in the entire country and then the globe, they both have freeways that happen to meet right at this intersection, right in the middle of the Inland Empire or right. western side of the Inland Empire. We're just not building nearly enough. And people keep saying it's going to collapse. People are saying the skies is floating out. Just to be clear, there will be reductions and slowdowns and things like that. And I know you have way more data on that, Bruce. So I'm not going to try to educate on that. Uh, but I will say that this is an area where uh, there's some, it's a concept that I call land bounding, uh, where migrations have to happen, have to happen because they're out of land and reasonable prices uh, in other areas. And in some areas, it can spread out across the plains of Dallas and, and Texas. But L.A. and San Diego, they each have only one direction to grow that they can grow. And it's right into our area. And so our prices are skyrocketing and demand is up now. Property rights, are is some migration happening? Yes, we have helped our clients sell several of their investment properties uh, to uh, because they want to take it out of state. They're concerned about that. Uh, we have tried to educate them on some of the advantages and disadvantages of different areas. And by the way, I, I love investing anywhere in the country uh, that where the numbers make sense and then everything else makes sense. But I love California. Um, we had this issue, that this when it comes to investing in California and real estate, that that makes us um, unique in terms of how you're positioning yourself. And this is part of the whole investment portfolio on diversity. I can go and take $200,000 and I can go buy a home in, uh, in Kansas, parts of Kansas, not all of Kansas, and I can cash flow from day one. But my property taxes also go up every year. Mm-hmm. And my appreciation isn't much, both in rent and in actual value of the asset. In California, we have something different. You may not be able to buy a property that cash flows on day one, uh, but does that make it a bad investment, even with all the laws and everything else? And the answer is not necessarily. If I can buy a property right now in California, and let's say it's 500000 And yes, there's a higher barrier to entry, and I acknowledge that. But if you're going to spend 500000 on two properties in one place versus one, then you're going to do apples to apples using cash on cash uh, analysis. So ultimately, it comes down to, are you looking for short-term or long-term holds? Well, if you're looking for long-term holds, the advantage in California is that because of the laws that make it where our taxes don't go up more than 1% per year on our properties uh, uh, from the basis of which you purchased it, that means that our rents are increasing dramatically faster as does general appreciation than our property taxes are. The longer you hold a property, the better you off here in California. So a property that is more profitable, an equal amount of money invested in say Kansas or Texas, or I'll say even Florida, Bruce, uh, that you know, in five years, the California one is most likely going to be outpacing the, the actual annualized returns 
uh, of what you get in Florida or Texas, especially Texas, where the taxes are insane on properties. Uh, and in 10 years, you're going to be making significantly more money uh, where it's not even in the same asset class anymore. So the concept is you can buy here and hold here and you're going to be good. And we will probably never see that go away for residential four units or less properties. It still exists for residential and up and, and other things, but eventually I think they'll try to make inroads against apartment complexes. I should be clear on that on the legal side of things. Uh, we know there's efforts for that, but there's no way homeowners will ever give that up. Once they got that, no matter how liberal California turns, that will never go away. Uh, so, you know, we can invest here. And yes, the property rights matter less for the, for the homeowner. And that does need to be clear. Uh, that said, it's not that hard. And what are most of these property rights come from? Well, they come from the reality that, you know, Joey, Bruce, who my biggest problem is, or it used to be before we got more picky about who we took on as clients. Uh, it's not the residents. You know why it's not the residents? Because except for when people bring us the problems to solve, uh, which we do, uh, we get to pick our residents, right? We have these strict qualifications. Our residents are great. We have these amazing leases. We educate them. We do all those amazing things and our residents are amazing. But the landlords, and I'm gonna call them landlords in this case, versus rental housing providers, the landlords are the people who say, I am the Lord of the land. And what I say goes, and I don't care what the government says. And you know, we, well, my boss manager, who is really just a, a real estate agent moonlighting on the side, uh, they never had me do that. They didn't have to have me sign these forms. Well, you know, why can't I have seven estimates on the air conditioning and it take five weeks? Because it's 120 degrees in the desert. That's why. <laughs> so it's the it's these people who say they're just renters. They think you know I'm gonna I'm going to uh, cut off my nose to spite my face kind of stuff, right? Uh, this is why these laws exist. So the reality is most of the laws just aren't that complicated. Uh, most of them revolve around areas like LA and San Francisco in terms of how much you can raise the rent. But hey, you know what? We have these things like uh, AB 1482, which uh, put a cap on how much we could raise rent when there's a, a duplex or higher on a, on a property, on a parcel. You know what? That amount of raising is more than most states ever will see, even close to having their rents raised. And you know what happens? Well, now that we have a cap, everybody's raising their rent. And it's not just me. Now everybody's doing it. Now all the rents are raising. And uh, so, you know, it's actually pretty adv advantageous. Rents are going up. And uh, the, the laws aren't that hard as long as you take care of maintenance quickly, you do it right, and you don't go trespassing. Please don't show up and like uh, unannounced and your resident is taking a shower and you're like, I'm here to fix it. I knocked on the door. No one answered. Yeah, let's not do that. Uh, but frankly, the laws just aren't that complex and they're, they're fairly easy to follow uh, as long as you have the time to do it. Okay. Well, Matthew, we are out of time. Could you give us your website, please? So I have people can, they can go to that. You bet. It's the long version is formaticpropertymanagement.com, but the short version is formaticpm, like property management.com. Uh, you can go there. You can reach out to me anytime. Uh, you can email me at hello at formaticpm.com. Uh, that will get to me. All right. Well, Matthew, thank you very much for the, for the education on what is actually one of the most important things anybody has a rental portfolio is the correct selection of a property manager.
For more information on hard money loans and upcoming events with the Norris Group, check out thenorrisgroup.com. For information on passive investing with trust deeds, visit tngtrustdeeds.com. The Norris Group originates and services loans in California and Florida under California DRE License 01219911, Florida Mortgage Lender License 1577, and NMLS License 1623669. For more information on hard money lending, go to thenorrisgroup.com and click the hard money tab.